Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for our weekend online. And I'm excited for all of those uh, who are in community hubs this weekend. And for you who are watching with us, maybe not a part of our church family, uh, but watching in, thanks for tuning in and viewing what's going on. Uh, We are in our second week of this Advent series, and today we are going to talk about joy. Uh, So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 2, and we're going to get started. Uh, It reads here, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So we're here in our second week celebrating Advent as a church family. And and I want to take a moment and just remind you about what Advent is. Um, It is a tradition in the, the church, the historical church, about two primary things. It's about us taking time during the Christmas holiday, the four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, Uh, to remember and to anticipate. We remember the divine birth of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, and we collectively look forward with anticipation to his second coming when he will return to fulfill every promise and to restore everything to the Father. So we take time in this season and we look back and remember, and we also look forward and we anticipate. Um, And I don't know about you, but I love looking back and remembering. That's really easy for me. In fact, I think that there's something just really sweet and nostalgic that happens when we look back and we remember the incarnation of Jesus um, and the humility of God actually putting on flesh and coming and humbling himself so that we might be saved. There's something magical and mysterious and wonderful about it. And, you know, for us, I mean, it's tethered to the Christmas season. And so we have Uh, traditions and we have holidays and fires and we have parties and gifts giving and all kinds of things. We we remember, we form traditions and our family histories around remembering everything that God has done for us. But if you're like me, then anticipation is a little bit more difficult. I I think most of us uh, tend to struggle a bit more to look forward. Uh, And this year has been no exception to that. In fact, It's maybe increased the difficulty for people to actually stop and want to anticipate, to look forward. Because when we look forward, we can't help but to see the fear and the uncertainty in front of us. And for some of us, we may be actually scared to death that, uh, as a friend said recently, that the other shoe is just about to drop, that something else is going to go terribly wrong. And it's like we've developed some kind of 
collective PTSD that paralyzes us in fear and enslaves us to this present moment, afraid to look forward, right? Because we're not quite sure what's on the other side of this moment. But it's into that that quagmire, it's into that weird moment of fear and anxiety, and I love that I got to just use the word quagmire, okay, that the gospel declares the good news that brings joy. And and this is really special for us. Luke chapter 2 bears some significance for us because we stand in a moment of uncertainty and loss and, um, and, um, and anxiety where joy is particularly impactful, right? In verses 10 through 11, the angel of the Lord who appears to these shepherds out in the field, he, he is speaking to them and listen to what he says. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. You know, it's easy for us when we stop with that kind of like misty-eyed nostalgia to look back and to remember the coming of Christ as this picturesque kind of Dickens Christmas, right? With silent nights and holy nights. Um, And we kind of imagine them with no issues and no pain and no hardship. And we forget somehow that the birth of Jesus was... Um, was inconvenient and unaccommodating, right? It, it was uh, Joseph and Mary actually on the road finding no place of comfort and convenience. And Jesus is born in this picture of inconvenience and discomfort. And we also kind of skip over the fact that Jesus' birth was this catalyst for chaos. We read it in this passage, but Jesus, who is the Savior, whose name actually means God saves He has come on this divine rescue mission. Jesus coming in the flesh is this this divine signal that God is actually beginning to execute this, this plan to rescue humanity, where God steps behind enemy lines to infiltrate the darkness and actually save those who are being destroyed. It's not like a precious story. Um, it, it is it is a battle story. It is um it is a divine uh war being played out in front of us. Peaceful times don't demand saviors. Those, those are war times. And if we were to actually take the life of Jesus and if we could like um, push it down into a short little package of 33 years and we could just say it in a couple of statements, we start to see that in the time in the life of Jesus, even in us looking back and remembering, what we find is a lot of upheaval and inconvenience and despair. Jesus' own birthday party is abbreviated by the mass murder of every Jewish baby under the age of two because Herod was trying to kill this Messiah who was coming to establish um, his lordship, his his rule, right? We also see that Joseph and Mary flee as as refugees to Egypt in order to protect Jesus. We see that Jesus' father dies while he is still young and that Jesus himself, uh, he is rejected by family and friends He is beaten and betrayed by those closest to him. And ultimately, uh, Jesus suffers a humiliating and painful death on a cross. And so we kind of, sometimes I I think we divorce ourselves from the reality of the story because of our nostalgia and looking back um, with uh, with good memories about Jesus coming to earth. But but I want to tell it to you like that because I really believe for us, We need to remember that joy is a product of the presence of God in the midst of chaos. Joy is not the absence of hardship. It's not the absence of despair. It is the product of the presence 
of God. And this story of Jesus, it actually has a lot of twists and turns in it, but God actually starts to introduce the story of Jesus as good news that will cause great joy for all people. And this joyful announcement, if this is what we are remembering, then I think we can also anticipate the coming kingdom of Jesus in the future with the same kind of joy. In, in the midst of hardship and anxiety and, and wondering, man, what does tomorrow actually look like? What does 2021 hold for us? Who will our president be? <laughs> like we have so many weird, wild, big questions. And in the midst of that, we can grab a hold of joy and live in joy and anticipate the coming of Jesus. And here in 2020, with all the twists and turns that we are experiencing you may actually think and feel like joy is unattainable. But I want to come to you guys as a messenger tonight or in your room this morning or wherever you're at in the afternoon, and I want you to hear this, just like the angel said 2,000 years ago, that now, if you're a Christ follower, do not be afraid. Because Jesus is the good news that brings great joy for you and your family and for every person because the Lord has come and he's coming again, right? And, and this is the great hope that we carry in our hearts. And this is the express reason that you and I can live in joy, in the delight of God, because we know that Jesus has come and he is coming. And so this morning, um, or this afternoon or evening, whenever you're watching this, I want to take just a few minutes to explore Luke chapter 2 just a little further, um, and then I want to talk about the nature of joy. Why, why is this passage in Luke chapter 2 so important, so powerful for us? Uh, and secondly, what does it look like for us to live in joy? You know, with our 21st century Western eyes, this message doesn't really hit us quite the same way as it would people in first century Judaism. Uh, in the first century, when Jesus was, was born, they, the people were actually accustomed to foreign kings coming to invade and attack and declare their rule over new lands. Uh, this was just a part of culture and history. Uh, right now, we talk a whole lot about like cyber terrorism. But when you're in places where kings and kingdoms are coming in to actually rule over you and to attack, the people grow to a whole new sense of understanding and respect for what it means to be under the authority of a ruler. And so these people knew what it was like. They understood what it meant to be under the rule of a foreign king and kingdom. And actually during the time that the gospels are written, the nation of Israel is under foreign occupation by Rome. And so even though they carry an identity as Jews, they have to answer to Caesar and they have to answer to local um, Roman prefects and, and judges and rulers uh, like Herod. And so when a foreign ruler would come into and overtake this people or land, you can imagine all of a sudden that the people of that place have lots of questions, right? Like we knew what it was like to be a part of the kingdom of Israel. We knew what the laws were. We knew what the customs were. But what is this new king like? And what is this new kingdom going to be like that has now overtaken our kingdom? And to answer that question, incoming kings would send ambassadors or to use another a kingdom word, they would send apostles, sent ones, messengers, and they would send them ahead of them to announce a celebration of the incoming kingdom and the kind of king that he was. And the announcement of the king's rule would be called, get this, Eungelio, uh, or the good news of the kingdom. And, and so an ambassador of another nation would come in that had just 
um, overtaken this new nation and they would they would announce a celebration for this new reign and rule of the incoming king and it was the evangelism of those people. It's where we get the word evangelize. Eungelio, the good news. And so what is the good news that Luke 2 tells us about? Because that's exactly what we're seeing here. Luke actually tells us that God has once and for all established his kingdom on earth. Not by a nation state like Israel, but through himself, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior and the Lord. Not through a, a military um, overhaul, but through a man who comes, or a God who comes in the flesh as a man and lays himself down for the salvation of many people. He, he says that God has established his kingdom on earth. And here in Luke chapter 2, he's proclaiming that the kind of kingdom that Jesus leads is a kingdom of salvation and joy. Today, there is born to you a Savior, the Messiah, who is the Lord, right? And this is good news of great joy for everyone. This news is just as good and joyful today as ever before. You can imagine for people in first century Judaism under the rule of of Rome, who feel like they've been dispossessed of their custom and their culture and their connection to God, Jesus comes and God actually proclaims to that people, guys, in the midst of what you feel like um, is, um, is an exile where you don't in- belong to your nation anymore, you don't belong to your people or to the promises that I've given you, I'm declaring that the kingdom of God has been established on the earth and it doesn't shift with the rise and the fall of human powers and principalities, but rather that the kingdom of God is established in the person of Jesus now and forever. And for you and me, I just want you to hear that this is good news for us. It's good news today, just like it was 2,000 years ago. Because with all of the anxiety, like take our present moment. I made a joke, but with not even knowing who our president will be next year, Uh, all of the anxiety that surrounds that, um, one thing has been really clear for us, that people are scared of leaders and agendas that they don't quite understand or agree with, right? That that all of us, whether you're on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle, there's a lot of fear and trepidation that comes into this argument about who is in power and control. But guys, we declare the rule of a perfect leader who is altogether good and righteous and just and lovely and forgiving, right? And and his name is Jesus. And I can't help but to think what it would be like if we lived with that reality firmly rooted in our hearts and our lives. That the the announcement of the kingdom of God and the rule of Jesus actually is um, life-altering, It actually does change the way that we interact with the moment that we stand in right now as Americans. What if we lived with that reality rooted in our hearts and lives like they were being asked to think in first century Judaism? What what if it wasn't just words, but what if it was a lived experience that we spend our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays consumed by the saving grace of Jesus, consumed by the joy of the Lord. What would it be like if that reality that God has once and for all established his kingdom in Christ and he rules over my heart with peace and joy and righteousness and justice, regardless of who sits on, uh, uh, in the governing seats of power in the halls um, of America or of China or of Russia or wherever, right? 
No matter what happens, that this kingdom has been established. It's not a cop-out to say that Jesus is our king. I saw that kind of in this election series. Now, I will say it may be a cop-out if you only say that when your uh, candidate doesn't get chosen, right? If, if, it's, if it literally is just something that you say and think whenever you, your guy lost, that's one thing. But what if we live with that reality all the time as people? With this sense and this awareness that because Jesus has been inaugurated as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because he has called us to be a part of a kingdom that is not of this world, that it utterly changes the way that I interact with what's going on around me. Right? It changes my priorities and the way that I see things and the way that I interact with people in the here and now. This is the reality that the gospel invites us into. Jesus has been inaugurated as the King of Kings and he calls us to live in absolute allegiance to him. Right? This is the evangelism. This is the evangelio, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, that God's kingdom has been established in Jesus. But Luke 2 tells us just a little bit more. We also see here that just like a coming kingdom who spreads influence through ambassadors, that God sends ambassadors, right? Uh, We see that God uses angels as his ambassadors. And, And he goes not to the places of kings and to the corridors of CEOs, but he goes to shepherds to make this proclamation about what he's gonna do. And so we have to ask the question, man, as we're diving into the scriptures, as you're reading the Bible, it's a good practice to stop and to simply say, why? Why these people? God, what are you saying to them and why? Why is that important for me to hear right now? And so we need to ask the question, why angels and why shepherds? And I really believe it's important for us to understand that the characters of the story give us the dimensions of this king and his kingdom. He's using angels and shepherds for a reason. In the angels, we actually see that this is not just a a kingdom of humanity, but that this is a cosmic story with supernatural power and authority, right? It says when the angel came uh, and he shone with glory and light, the shepherds were terrified. Like there is something here that is cosmic in proportion. It's not small and just flesh and blood. It is spirit and power and authority and glory. God is announcing that this kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. He's saying if these ambassadors who represent my will and my agenda are angels, you can imagine the kind of kingdom that they represent. You know, if the Chinese ambassador comes, uh, I'm going to try that again. If the Chinese ambassador uh, comes and shows up in Washington, D.C., the realization, the thought is he's coming to represent the will and the agenda of China, right? And China's leaders. But in the same way, when we see angels coming and appearing before men to to negotiate the terms of this incoming kingdom, the thought here is that these guys are coming um, as representatives of heaven and they come to declare God's will and God's agenda. And get this, this is what he declares God's agenda is. This is God's agenda for the world. This is God's agenda for your life and for my life through the person of Jesus. His agenda is is joy for all people. If that doesn't blow your mind, like I don't know what will. God's purpose is to actually bring so much joy to your life and to mine that this is the symbol of who Jesus is. And you know, I, I don't uh, I don't have this written anywhere, but I, I just remember like Jesus' first miracle. He goes to the wedding at Cana and he actually multiplies water into wine. He takes it and he blesses it. 
and it becomes wine. And, and commentators and historians all say that it is such a remarkable miracle, but because it shows that in Jesus is the incredible joy that is poured out through God. Right? Wine is the substance of joy. And Jesus takes something that is common and ordinary and he brings joy. And in this moment, we see the angels coming to declare and celebrate that God's agenda for our world and your life and my life is to produce joy. Where it was common and ordinary, where it's upside down and full of despair, Jesus comes to bring joy. In the same way, not just angels showing up as representatives of God, but Jesus actually comes not just as a representative of men toward God, but he actually comes to humanity as a representative of God. And his agenda is to save and to bring you joy. Maybe you're in a place this morning of despair and hopelessness. Maybe there's a situation that's causing a crisis of faith. Friend, can I just urge you and encourage you that at this time of year, whether we're looking back at the birth of Jesus or looking ahead at the second coming of Jesus, what we can grab a hold of is joy because that is what Jesus wants to bring into your life. This is the good news about Jesus. Secondly, we don't just see angels coming to represent. We also see that they go to a very specific group of people. Who do they declare the good news to? Now, this is equally important for us. Who is the good news of great joy for? Who is the gospel for? Is it for churchgoers? Is it for high-bred people with lots of money who are great citizens and think they know everything about everything and drive certain kinds of cars? Is it for the kind of the artsy rebels and the people who are a little punk rock and edgy? Is that who it's for? Who's it for? Who's the good news for? Is, is it for the homeless just down on the river who can't quite seem to get things in order and are struggling with life? Who's it for? Here in this moment, we see that the angels go first. They, I mean, they've got, uh, they can go anywhere to anyone, right? They can go anywhere in Israel. They can speak to any ruler, any king. They can talk to any dignitary or noble. But the people they go to first are the humble, blue-collared, know-nothings who are working in the field. Now, I think that this is really significant for us because often we believe that God is going to begin to move among certain groups of people first, right? Insiders, the elite. And somehow, in this message, says that God's no respecter of persons, that God goes to the people that others might think he wouldn't go to, and he goes first. And he actually begins to display his glory in them first. And this is the will of God, that Jesus is good news for everyone, everywhere. Listen to that. Jesus is good news to everyone, everywhere. Author Scott McKnight actually says that the gospel is either good news for everyone or it's good news for no one. Think about that. It can't just be good news for parts of us. It's good news for all of us. And I, I really think if there's one thing that I want to encourage you toward, it's that because we have been given the gospel of good news that brings great joy, if that has impacted your life and shaped your heart, the response is that you will spread that good news to others. Whatever brings joy to you, man, you should pass on to other people. I think about my wife when I think about this. Whenever Chrissy loves um, something or she comes into contact with like a good product, she can't help but to talk about it to other people. 
I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like that. They're just a natural salesperson. Like whatever they get that they like, they got to tell everybody about it. And it's the best thing ever. And they're just an enthusiast, right? Like God calls us to be enthusiasts about what he has done in us and for us to spread the word. And in this Christmas season, man, there would be no better response than for us as Christ followers to open our mouths and to share the gospel with people around us. What is the message of hope that Jesus has given to you? What is the joy in your heart that he has secured because of his life? And that brings us to the subject of joy. What about joy? Friends, joy is not just what we feel in the absence of hardship. I've already mentioned this. But joy is so much more. In fact, I really believe that joy can remain even through the hardest of trials because joy is not about whether we have trials and difficulties and hardships or not. Joy is about living in the presence of Jesus. Joy is about living in the presence of Jesus. I'm Lauren, and Grant asked me to talk a little bit about joy and what it looks like in my life. Uh, I've learned that pain and joy they, uh, joy is not the absence of pain and suffering, but joy and suffering actually coexist um, that I've learned over the years. Um, I, joy is the foundation of who I am in Christ. You know, despite circumstances, despite what we're going through, there's always hope in the Lord, and that's where my joy comes from. Um, I have struggled with an autoimmune disease for years where I have long seasons of chronic pain and I, I deal with that pain every day. But, um, you know, like I, in those darkest times, all I had to hold on to was the Lord, like His goodness and His faithfulness and knowing He's with me and He never changes. Um, and that the joy of the Lord it's literally our strength. It says that in the Word, that we can hold on to Him and know we're going to be okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so joy is connecting with the Father's heart for me. Um, you know, before I was saved, I was, I was a wreck. I was just full of shame and guilt and fear, a lot of fear. I had an eating disorder. I... I was just plagued with tormented thoughts. Um, and when I met the Lord, it's like everything changed when, you know, I dove deeper into learning about who I am in Christ and and learned the, the freedom that comes with knowing Him. Um, and that, that changed everything for me. And it's cool because it's like, I am, he empowers me to walk in the opposite spirit of who I was before. Uh, now I can walk in joy literally every day because I know that my foundation is the hope of Christ and that hope brings me so much joy. We always have a reason to rejoice in that. Um, so yeah, despite our circumstances, despite chronic illness or whatever you're facing, there's always the hope of Christ to look to um, as our foundation. Um, so I'm going to leave you with this. This verse is uh, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Thank you.
That is the power of joy. You know, I've been thinking about this season that kind of we're, we're standing in. And what I have noticed is that when our lives are built with an expectation about things going a certain way, and it's not really built on the already established kingdom of God, one of the quickest things to go in times of uncertainty is joy. Guys, our joy is tethered to what we believe about life. If things are going in the direction that we think, then we can have joy, right? But when stuff feels like it's careening out of control and this stuff is chaotic, oftentimes we tighten down into control and we don't feel like we can relax and actually enjoy life. And I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who can just enjoy things. Uh, it's one of the most freeing things to be around. And if, if you're uptight, a little bit type A like me, maybe that's challenging for you to just stop and enjoy. But we talked about the, the established kingdom of God that the angels are coming to declare and that God is affirming to the shepherds and to the people of Israel that the, that the kingdom of God has been established. And one of the great gifts that we have as people of God is that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what Hebrews says, right? We, we've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken and the word of God does not change and God's character and nature does not change. And what that breeds in us is the kind of security that even on my worst day, I stand in a kingdom that cannot be shaken with a king who never changes and who is filled with love and compassion and who is unintimidated by the rulers and authorities of this world. And because of that, I can live in joy. Joy is the open-ended invitation to live in God's delight in the midst of everything that life can throw at you. Joy is resistance. It is our rebellion against Satan who wants to destroy our souls and enslave us. Joy is a rebellion against a world that wants to crush our hope in Christ. Joy digs our roots down deep into every promise that God has spoken. It sets up life in the place of the fullness of the reality of God's kingdom and what he has given to us as an inheritance as children of this kingdom. Joy is resistance. We may have hardship and pain and defeat in this life. That's part of life, right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So, so yes, you're going to have hardship. You're going to have trouble. And there are going to be points of pain and suffering. But Jesus has overcome all of that. And so we can live in Jesus' overcoming power when we live in joy with him. Listen to me. The, the invitation of joy doesn't wait on your problems to go away. Jesus invites you to live and to choose joy right now in the midst of it. So There are two practical notes on joy that I want to share with you as we close today. Number one, joy is tied to rejoicing. This Hebrew word for joy is the word chedva. And so in your community hubs this morning, I want you to say chedva. You got to get a little ch in there, you know, spit a little bit. If you're not spitting, you're not doing it right. Uh, this word chedva, or joy, is a derivative that comes from the word chada, and it means to rejoice or to make glad. And the interesting thing about joy is that it actually produces rejoicing. I don't know if you've been in that moment where something great happens, or the Lord answers a prayer, and joy fills your heart, and then something happens. People jump, people shout, people clap. Uh, I remember a couple weeks ago, good friends of ours who had been praying for a baby 
uh, I got to overhear the conversation where they found out they were having a baby. And you know what happened? My heart expanded three times its normal size, just like the Grinch, and I ran in, and I was yelling and screaming, and I was acting like a fool. Why? Too much joy, man. I couldn't, I couldn't contain the amount of joy that had filled my heart. And all I could do was rejoice as a result. Joy produces rejoicing. But, but here's the funny thing. Rejoicing also produces joy. It's tricky. They're like a bicycle with two pedals that move each other forward. And so when you are filled with joy, you can't help but to let it spill out and rejoice and celebrate. And when God shows up and answers something, joy fills your heart and you rejoice. But friends, there are other times when the promise has not yet come to pass, when there is pain and suffering at your door, when you have to choose to remind yourself of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, and you make a choice to rejoice even when you're not filled with joy in that moment. And listen to me, I want to tell you something. That is not fake. That is not pretense. That is actually choosing to live in a place that is rooted in the goodness of God and in His former acts and miracles in your life, even in the moments where they're not showing up in the moment. Sometimes we choose rejoicing so that we can live in the place called joy. And when I rejoice in the Lord, when I take my despairing attitude or a feeling of depression, some of you struggle with depression and anxiety, and even as Diane was talking about weeks ago, that we we get to choose to rejoice and to pray and petition God. Guys, when those things come on us, I want to tell you something, man. The Lord has given you an incredible arsenal in rejoicing to produce joy in your life. Rejoicing. When I take what is in my heart of gratitude and thanksgiving and I take it from here and I actually bring it out of my mouth and I do something with my body to rejoice. When I lift my hands and I'm by myself and I lift my voice in my bedroom, when I'm in a despairing moment or a friend is in a place of crisis, I'm telling you what, I am partnering with the Holy Spirit and angel armies to lift God's name high and joy fills me and grace fills me and it gives me power to step forward. And for some of us, man, you just need to hear me. When depression and anxiety feel like imminent on you, it is time to rejoice. It is time to remind yourself of how God has shown up. It is time to turn on their praise music. It's time to get out your Bible and remind yourself of the goodness of God and lift your voice. Right, Because the enemy loves to intimidate us and to diminish us. He wants to shut you down and shut you up. Seriously. And you guys know me. Like I'm not a hype machine, but I'm telling you, when you feel crushed, it's time to lift your voice, your voice, not just your heart. Lift your voice and begin to praise the Lord. And even in community hubs this morning, maybe after this time, maybe you guys just take a few minutes and just praise the Lord together. Sing a song together. Remind yourselves of how God has shown up in your life, how he's delivered you from depression or anxiety or answered your prayers or shown up for other people. Maybe you don't have a story to share. Share somebody else's story and lift praise because rejoicing produces joy. You don't have to wait for joy to happen to you. Joy is not a passive thing that happens to you. Sometimes, man, I, I live into this with, uh, 
with not a passive faith, but an active faith. I rejoice when my heart is despairing because I know that in God's presence is a fullness of joy. And by the way, he inhabits himself on the praises of his people. I invite the presence and the joy of God into my heart when I praise him. And for some of you, man, if you're wired like me, I've I've always felt a little bit of like uh, melancholy and I wouldn't say depression, but like I'm like that. I can be kind of flatlined in the way that I feel. Can I just encourage you? Man, praise and worship and rejoicing is, is artillery against the enemy. So learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Remind yourself of his goodness and grace and rejoice with your mouth with your hands lifted high, clap, sing, dance, whatever you do, but remind your body and your mouth to give praise to the Lord. That's the power of your testimony. That's the power of what Lauren just shared. That's a black eye for the enemy when we lift our voices and rejoice in who God is and what he's done. It's an external way to direct your internal world. For some of you, your internal world is spiraling out of control. And so I want to invite you to direct your external world so that it will shape and form your internal world. So number one, joy is tied to rejoicing. But secondly, joy comes from serving and loving other people. In the New Testament, the Greek word for joy, um, so we've got Hebrew, we've, we've done Hebrew for joy in, this, in the Old Testament, um, and then in the New Testament, they change languages. And so uh, the Greek word for joy is the word chara or kara. Um, and the really cool thing is that it shares the exact same root word as the words for grace and gift. I remember standing in my dad's office one day and he was describing the, the nature and the relationship between these three words. Um, that joy, kara, is related to the grace of God on my life and how I use the gifts that God has given to me and that those things produce joy. And so the idea is pretty clear for you and me today. For some of you, man, if you find that your life is in deficit of joy, that you don't feel a whole lot of joy, maybe you're feeling the stress of the season or the anxiety of our culture right now, I just want to invite you into this, that when you live in the grace of God, when you allow the mercy of God to wash over you and you begin to give mercy and you allow him to forgive you and you give forgiveness and you allow him to love you and you begin to love others, the result, um, and, and sorry, and you start to use your gifts to serve him and to love other people. The result of all that is joy. It's kara. It's, it's, man, God's grace has changed me. He is shaping me and washing me. And as a result, I used my gifts, the things that God has placed in my life to love him and to bless other people. That stuff produces joy. I remember I was uh, teaching one Wednesday night when I lived in Atlanta, and I was personally going through a really hard season. Uh, I was really struggling to understand my calling and just how I was wired and how I saw the the calling of the church and how that should work. Um, And it was a Wednesday night, and I was teaching. And this old man, um, he wasn't that old, uh, just a really good friend. His name was Randy White. Randy, if you're watching, you're not old. I love you. Um, He came up and just gave me a word of encouragement. And he said, Grant, he said, tonight I saw a gift in you in teaching and in preaching. And he said, I want to tell you that uh, you're going to go through some wilderness seasons where you need to learn how to feed off of the gift that God has given to you. And he said, there are seasons that are going to be trying for you. But when you are living in your gift, you can actually, um, you can eat from that gift. It will actually sustain you because it brings joy to your life. And, And I have found that over and over in seasons that 
There are times when you feel like you are so underwater and under pressure that you're just reacting to the things around you instead of living out the purpose and the gifting God has placed in you. And when you do that, it actually encourages your heart. It strengthens you and it fills you with joy. And so today, you guys, you may be feeling down or depressed or overwhelmed, wherever you're watching from, whether you're in our community or somewhere else. I want to encourage you uh, that one of the great things um, that happens when we begin to live a life of joy is we start to see our giftings and the grace of God, and He produces more joy as we use those. You know, therapy is great. Listen, listen to me. If, if you're struggling with depression or anxiety, and you've heard from other churches that therapy is whatever, don't listen to that junk. Therapy's great, okay? Inner healing is great. Like we believe in all of these tools and um, and um, an arsenal that God develops so that we can grow and that we can deepen our roots in Him and we can become whole and healthy people. Um, but hear me, in the midst of all that, one of the strongest weapons in God's arsenal to overcome defeat and depression is actually serving others with the gifts He's given you. Serve people. It, it is shocking to me how powerful it can be when you just simply begin to serve and love other people. When you begin to meet needs, it produces so much joy and identity and hope in us. Because when we do that, we're with Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is washing feet. Jesus calls us into the same space to love and to wash the feet of those who are around us. And God wired you to be filled with joy when you love other people. Because joy always comes when you do what God has called you to do. Joy is always the result of you obeying and living with Jesus. You know, I want to just close our time um, by mentioning these two passages of Scripture. One is in Hebrews chapter 2, I think, where it says that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame. And I've been reflecting on the passages I've been studying on joy and just thinking through this passage in Luke chapter 2. Why does it say for the joy set before him he endured? I think Jesus lived in the completed reality of what his father had called him to. He said on multiple occasions, I only say what my father says. I only do what he tells me to do. But what an intense life of joy he must have lived. That he was always with the father. That he always felt the consuming spirit of God who was full of love, who spoke over him. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Think about that. What, what would it be like to live every single day in the resonating effect that you are a son or daughter of God and he is well pleased with you? And that you are living your life actively engaged as part of his kingdom, right? And that you're carrying out the will and the agenda of your father. You're less worried about the news you're less worried about that. You're actually just carrying out the will and the agenda of your Father. And that makes you incredibly powerful and relevant to our culture and nation and the people around us. Because God is looking for people who will be obedient and carry out with faithfulness everything that He's calling them to. This is what Jesus felt. Right? And I'm also carried to the story of uh, the, the parable um, of the treasure hidden in the field. I don't know if you recall that. I don't have the scripture written here, but I'm always blown away that it says that this person is out and when they discover this treasure hidden away in this field, in joy, the passage says, they go away 
and they sell everything they have so that they can buy that field with the treasure in it. For some of you today, I wonder, you know, if we're looking for joy as some kind of like virtue, this disconnected, detached from the person of Jesus. But the scriptures make it plain that the good news that brings great joy it is not just a declaration about someone. It actually is someone. That the good news, the gospel, is Jesus. That joy is Jesus, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. That this is the personality and the character of Jesus. And I want to invite you today, maybe you're living detached and disconnected from joy. Maybe you wake up with a grimace on your face and you go to sleep feeling like you just got to control your circumstances and life is spiraling. God invites you in the midst of that to remember the good news of great joy and to look forward filled and consumed with joy because we live in a kingdom and under the rule of a king who is eternal and he ain't going nowhere. And he is with you and he is with us. And when God is with us, we can live in unadulterated, unmeasured, unequaled joy. And so I want to invite you, are you living in joy? Take some time, converse with your community hubs. If you're watching online with us, thanks for joining with us. And I just want to ask, and maybe just say a word of prayer before we leave. Are you living in joy? It's Jesus. He invites you into his all-consuming joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And so let's pray today. And if you haven't received that, man, maybe today is a day where you just say, Lord, I want to know you. I don't know what it looks like to follow you or to surrender my life to you but I say yes to you. Teach me how to follow you. Father, I just thank you for my friends who are listening and watching today, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be rooted in the kingdom that is full of salvation and joy. I thank you, Lord, that you're revealing to us that this gospel is good news for us, and it brings great joy, and it's for everyone. So would you teach us, Lord, to be dispensers of joy, to be proclaimers of joy and sharers of joy. And Father, if we're sitting under the weight and the oppressive um, force of anxiety and depression, Lord, I pray that today that you would break the back of the enemy and you would remind us that this gospel of the kingdom is good news that brings great joy. Fill us with that joy so that the world can look at us and see the face of your son, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. God bless you guys. See you.